Welcome to the Barrel Horse Life Podcast, where we're going to talk all things horses, barrel racing, and life. This podcast features conversations with world champions, hustlers, and those who make the horse industry a better place. I am your host, Amy Davenport, and I'm super pumped that you came along for the ride. After the episode, please take a second to share with a friend and on social media. It really helps others find our show. All right, well, let's get started. Doing everything possible to keep my horses sound and moving naturally without pain has been my key to success, and let me tell you how it's done. Draw It Out is an all-natural topical liniment that removes inflammation, heat, and soreness to keep our horses competing at the top of their game. It's completely safe, 100% natural, and really easy to use. Their deep penetrating formula is completely sensation-free, so it goes on gently with no heating, no cooling, and no tingling effects. You guys, that means no burns and no blisters on our best friends. Draw It Out comes in a variety of ways. It comes in a concentrate that you mix with water, a topical gel, a topical CBD gel, which is my favorite. They also have products for dogs and humans. The Rejuve Gel is the real deal. It's great for the professional athlete or the professional grandparent. So head on over to LonePrairiePHS.com. That's LonePrairiePHS.com. And be sure to enter code AMY10 in the notes for your sweet discount. About a year ago, I had a dream. I had a dream that I wanted to start my very own podcast. I wanted to talk about the things that I wanted to talk about, interview the people that I wanted to interview, and I wanted to make a difference. So I sent an email to somebody that I know has made a difference in this world. Charmaine James. She took about a week to respond, and I said, Hey Charmaine, I'm thinking I want to start a podcast. I've had this dream, it's been nagging at me, and I think I'm going to put it into action. Would you be on my podcast? Do you know what her response was? Amy, I would love to be on your podcast. It would be an honor. I was almost in tears. So I got to work. I got experience. I got knowledge. I gained people's trust. And here we are. Episode 10. Interviewing my friend, Charmaine James. I've been waiting for this episode for an entire year. I've been thinking about the questions I was going to ask her, what I was going to talk to her about, how I was going to ask her. And you know what? The conversation went great. We're friends. It's just one friend talking to another friend. But Charmaine doesn't need an introduction. She's a kind, loving, wonderful woman. And if you don't know her, I hope someday you get to. So I'm not going to introduce her. I'm going to let some friends of mine do that. So without further ado, I'll let them take it from here. time I met Charmaine James. I was sitting on my horse at one of her clinics waiting for my turn for her to come up and ask about my horse and me and our issues and what we wanted to work on and she was going to watch me make a run. Well, more like a high lope because my horse was a train wreck. And then we were going to talk about what we were going to work on and, and all those things. And I'm watching her interact with other riders and give them talk and I'm just 
oh my gosh, it's Charmaine James, ah, you know, those things. And then next thing I know, she's walking up to me and I, I don't even know what happened. I mean, here is the Charmaine James standing there. And I'm just like, I'm, I'm, I thought I'm going to pass out off this horse. This is so crazy. And she just kind of smiled at me and touched my leg and said, your hair is really pretty. <laughs> I just started laughing. <laughs> and I still laugh about it, but... You know, it was exactly what I needed in that moment to be able to um, articulate what I was there to do and, and what our issues were. It's amazing, really. When you leave there on Sunday, she's your friend Charmaine that has coached you this weekend, and you just, you know, want to be better and, and make her proud, but she's awesome. How much she has helped me, how much she has helped me as a horse person to be better horse person, not just for the horse I took to the clinic, but for my other horses. I went to her first barrel racing clinic in Texas in 2002. I've been to numerous clinics since then throughout the last 20 years. Always learn something new about myself, about my horse, about life. So many people keep that stuff to themselves, and she does it. She shares, and, and she cares. Every person she interacts with, it, it, she gives them her undivided attention. She is a teacher in so many ways. And she can just see everything. Sometimes I don't want her to see all those things, but she does. <laughs> and, and sometimes she, I mean, she will tell you like it is. And, you know, sometimes there's tears. There's tears that happen. There's good tears, bad tears, and good tears again, usually. She's just helped me be a better rider for my horse. And in turn, that has made my horse a better horse. Charmaine is the kind of teacher that wants you to feel it. And I really like it when she's worked one-on-one -on -one with me and said, okay, now you need to do this or do that. And then, wait, did you feel that? And I'm like, wait, let's do it again. And then I do it on my own. And she said, wait, did you feel that? How did that feel? And I did feel it. So I like that she not only teaches us the correct techniques and movements, but she's helping us get feel. And that's, you know, that's true horsemanship. She's a phenomenal lady. It's kind of been a joke between my friends and I, but it's a real thing. So you get yourself in a situation or your horse is acting funny, or you just can't make a good small circle. You just ask yourself, what would Charmaine James do? What would Charmaine James do? And then my three clinics, she has changed so much for me. She has changed my confidence in my um, riding abilities. She opened my eyes to different ways of looking at the pattern and how to take my horse through and those things. She even changed my direction, which I never thought I was going to do in a million years. But she's just amazing. And I am thankful to be able to consider her a friend and someone that I know has my best interest in heart when she's giving me information and guiding. Just awesome. She's amazing. She's a, a kind person. She's humble. If you stand next to her, you would never, ever get the feel that she's thinks she's better than you, or, you know, even though she's got 11 gold buckles, and she is who she is, and she's been where she's been, but, you know, this weekend, she's your friend Charmaine, and she's just here to help you, and he'll help you be better, and help your horse, and uh, get you to understand some things a little differently. She is dynamite in a tiny package. She's fearless. She has been my idol since I was a young girl. I watched every video I could of her and Scamper Running Girls. I listened to every interview she had and read every article that she was in. She is also a friend. Charmaine James is always willing to be a mentor to anyone, whether inside or outside the arena. Charmaine is an incredible woman who is always there to offer an encouraging smile and a helping hand.
Only one Charmaine James. She's a great all-around person, and she makes makes you want to be a better person, a better horse person, a better rider, a better barrel racer. She's the whole package for sure. The best person in the world, and I'll say it a million times, she's one of the coolest people I've ever met, um, not just because she's Charmaine James, but because of the person that she is. I think if she, she wasn't Charmaine James, I'd still think she was pretty cool, but it is kind of cool knowing Charmaine James. She's awesome, and... I'm just that much of a better horse person, all-around person, just for knowing her. Thank you, Charmaine. I just love Charmaine. We love you, Charmaine. Today on the podcast, we have the ever-famous, the Charmaine James. So, Charmaine, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to join me. So, I'm going to let you... I'm happy to be here. Uh, Amy, you're so much fun. I'm so excited to be with you. Awesome. Well, thank you. So, I'm going to let you take the reins on this one, and I want you to tell us who you are and a little bit about yourself. Okay. Well, um, Charmaine James. Uh, I'm an 11-time world champion barrel racer, Mm -hmm. but... Um, but better yet, I'm, you know, I'm the mom to my kids. Um, I feel like I'm, you know, that's probably been my most important role, try to put kids out in this world that are good people who work hard and, and, um, you know, but more importantly, um, you know, just try to take care of my parents and, and it's, you know, those gold buckles, um, that I want, they, they help me probably, um, learn how to help other people with their riding and their horses so um, I grew up um, in New Mexico in northeast New Mexico and my dad had a cattle operation there we worked at a feedlot I raised bottle calves and and so just kind of always been in the western lifestyle industry and just you know my parents just worked hard for what they had and kind of passed those values along to me and so um you know, through barrel racing and winning, I just feel like I'm out there trying to help. I initially started out to just really help the horses because they needed the help. But then I kind of realized people not, you know, not only with just barrel racing, but people have kind of been treated bad along the way and they just need somebody to say, Hey, I'm on your side. It's all good. Forgive yourself. Go on, move on. Everything's good. Yeah. Yeah. You've won 11 WPRA world barrel racing championship titles and 10 of those were consecutive. So I'm a total nerd and I have been a huge, not only a huge fan of yours for pretty much since I was a little kid, but, um, so 10 of those were consecutive. So I did some homework on you and those, those 10 consecutive years were from 1984 to 1993. So if any of this information is wrong, just stop me. No, that's right. Yeah. No, you're doing good. All right. And then your 11th was in 2002. We had to take some time off in between there. So that that was at 11 world titles. Yeah. Adding to that, um, I'm going to kind of skip through my notes here a little bit. But in 1984, you were the WPRA Rookie of the Year. Um, and in 1992, you were inducted into the National National Cowgirl Hall of Fame. And in 2017, you were in the Pro Rodeo Hall of Fame. Holy cow. Scamper, which was Gil's Bay Boy, was introduced to the Pro Rodeo Hall of Fame in 1996. And he was also the horse with the most heart for six years. Right. Holy, six times. How did that, I mean, tell me more about that. 
Well, I mean, so so going back, those ten world championships were um, won on Scamper. Um, you know, Scamper obviously is Iron Horse. Um, he he was he loved rodeo. He basically you put him in the horse trailer, he charged up like an Energizer battery. Just he he absolutely loved it, and so. You know, the road um, was just his, like, where he just did the best. He loved it. You know, some horses don't travel well. Well, He was just the opposite. He loved it. And, um, you know, if you're a believer in God and and however, it just, Mm -hmm. it came together. It was God used us and put us out there to go do what we did. We, you know, I didn't necessarily have formal barrel racing training. um, And it wasn't like Scamper was this particularly high-bred, barrel racing bloodline family and you know it just um it was just to kind of go out and show you that you, you know you believe you can do it you can and and um uh definitely god just put us there to you know for a reason to win and show us you could do good and and so yeah the moon and the stars lined up a lot of people like to tell me that well the moon and the stars lined up just right for you Charmaine to win all that and to get scampering and I, and, I, and I agree with that. And it's and like, but people kind of want to think that that's a negative thing, you know, that you right. should have got it a different way. But I don't look at it that way. I look at it that, yeah, it was. And it was truly amazing. And it's fine. It's okay. And, and, it, and, and if Scamper was better than me, that's great. That's fine. I don't, I, I just have learned over the years to be, you know, don't have such an ego and, and to be very humble and, and the blessings that you have to be grateful for them. And, and, and I feel like that that's probably part of the reason why I came across cruiser, you know, where I won my second world championship, um, and ended up winning about 850,000 on that horse. And, and, um, you know, he was amazing in itself. And, and, um, but you know, so many people didn't really think I had any talent that it was all scamper and, but I, you know, I believed in myself. I knew I knew how to ride. I knew how to win. I was, you know, mentally tough and strong, and and I kind of knew that I could do it again. And so when I got cruiser, I I really feel like that that I I just had a deep passion to help horses and help people. And so when I won that championship on cruiser, I think it really, you know, um, gave me the credibility to be able to help the horses and help the people and. And to, you know, to, to move forward from there. Yeah. Wow, what a story. So you had, so you qualified for the NFR 19 times, is that right? Yes. Okay, and then you had, you won seven NFR average titles. And here's something that I didn't know, and actually my husband and I were sitting around the kitchen table, and we, I was like, man, I got to interview Charmaine James tomorrow. I'm drawn a writer's block. I can't think of things to ask. And he's like... And literally, he says to me, wasn't she the first woman ever to wear the number one, the number one number on her back at the NFR? And I went, how do you know that? He goes, because I know Charmaine James. (laughs) That is (laughs) awesome that my husband knows that. So, and I didn't realize that. So, of course, I started doing some more research. Yeah, 19. So, yeah, back in the, was it 19? I think 89, 87. You were. 87. Yeah. So, what did that feel like? Um, it was absolutely amazing. And, you know, with that came, you know, that was kind of in the era where, you know, barrel racers, you know, through some people in our industry didn't really think barrel racers should be, you know, you shouldn't get to wear the number one. Like it was, um, 
there was a um, a board member for the PRCA put in the in the Denver newspaper that it's a you know it's a sad day for rodeo when a you know a kid gets to a girl gets to wear the oh, number geez. one back yeah. number you know a barrel racer and you're just sitting there like what is wrong with these people you know um, I you they know have I the wrong brought, mindset yeah I, I brought a lot of um, you know, looking back on it, brought a lot of publicity to our sport. You know, People Magazine, Us Magazine, Good Morning America, ABC World News. I mean, we had, like, helicopters flying to my house. Like, everybody was wanting to get in on the, you know, get an interview in, come and meet Scamper, mm-hmm. you know, all of it, right? And so, you know, you had that part of it, and then you had this other faction of, like, you know, wearing the number one, it was, you know, you were, like, almost kind of fighting a little bit of people within the industry, but but generally, um, it was great, it was an honor to wear that number one, and um, Louis Fields, who was all-around cowboy, I, he was the first one to just be like, congratulations, that's awesome. You deserved it. You and Scamper are amazing. Like that guy was, you know, he's passed away now, but he, he was a dear friend of mine, but I will always love that guy for just being, uh, you know, Hey, you deserved it. And, uh, so anyway, that was just a really cool thing to have. Yeah. That's something that definitely stuck with you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. How awesome. Um, and then in 1990, you achieved the first million-dollar cowgirl. It was uh, it's pretty cool. I mean, you know, rodeo, and everybody thinks a million bucks. I mean, you you uh, all your money that you win goes back into your expenses. And <laughs> oh yeah, it went right back to your truck, rigs, to your horse, you know, to your, you your know, house payment, everything. Yeah, no, I mean, it. Uh, I mean, granted, I was able to survive and have a little money left over, and whatever um but you know in the world of rodeo that's that it was a big deal it was um to be the first competitor to hit that mark and and um you know it's not to be out there like um oh wow i won a million bucks and everybody thinks you're you know this real wealthy person whatever and it, it you know <laughs> yeah. rodeo doesn't really work that way and i think most people probably understand that yeah but people that aren't rodeo people you know, people that are reading USA Today when you were interviewed and probably read that article were like, a million dollars and they ride horses? They have no idea. No idea. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, rodeo's expensive. You start buying trucks and trailers and 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 uh, all your expenses and gas and everything else. It's, a, it's definitely um, a, a, a tough life, the way to make your, to win, to to make your living, you know, you better, you better know how to win and, and you better get your a big boy britches on or big girl britches on and toughen yeah. up because yeah. it's not easy out there. What do you always say? The school of hard knocks and. Oh, school of rodeo and university of hard knocks. Yeah. That's definitely, you know, everybody's like, did you go to school? I'm like, well, actually, yeah, I went to the school of rodeo and university of hard knocks. Hard knocks you, you learn a lot of things the hard way and you better learn and, and, figure it out or you're gonna you're gonna sink real fast fast just just <laughs> like a rock so yeah. you've had 19 nfr qualifications and running 10 nights that's 190 runs so if you had to pick one run that was either your most favorite or more most memorable or are they one in the same oh uh, well yeah that's a no-brainer i mean obviously the bridalist run um was on friday the 13th then um 
you know, that's when the bridle fell off going in the gate and the head stall came off, but he still had the bit in his mouth. And when I got to the third barrel, um, it, he just, it kind of just fell out. It was almost looked like he spit it out and then, you know, ran out of the arena and no way to stop. And basically you had a free shot from that arena there all the way to Las Vegas Boulevard. And so, um, I was like, well, I'm not riding him on the concrete. If I can't get him pulled up, I'm jumping off on the dirt warm-up pad before oh we get out. And and anyway, um, at least I did have the reins around his neck and was kind of able to kind of stand up and tell him, whoa. And and he kind of listened to that. My uncle was back there in the alleyway and, and kind of grabbed on to the reins as I was nearing the top of the alleyway out there. And, and normally, Scamper would have been kind of scared if somebody had probably kind of drug next to him for a minute but but um i can tell you that there was an angel riding alongside there you know definitely oh, protected yeah. us that night no doubt and and then to have them come and and get you hey get on the victory lap horse you you won the go round. um i was like no I'm, it was a it was a wreck like uh like it was a wreck they're like you won the go round. i'm like no like and the guy's like get on the horse you won the go round. and um so I was like, oh, my gosh, I had no idea that with all that, that I had won the round. So that yeah. just topped it off to make it even more. What more an, cool. what a story. I mean, and here you are coming around the third barrel, whipping and spurring with a bit, nothing but a bit in his mouth. Yeah, <laughs> yeah pretty much. That's awesome. <laughs> I have no idea. I have no idea. It was just like do everything the same, try yeah. to do everything the same, yeah. act like nothing's wrong. Muscle memory, <laughs> just keep going. You got yeah, it. right. That's awesome. And you survived and you won and you lived to tell about it. What a story. And right. Isn't there, yeah. a, isn't there a statue with? Yes. Yeah. Yes. At the Pro Rodeo Hall of Fame yeah. in Colorado Springs, they have a, a statue of Scamper and I in that bridalist run. Oh, what a cool story. That, I have yeah. to add that to my bucket list to go visit. So um, then kind of fast forwarding and rewinding at the same time, back in 2016, you had the opportunity to clone Scamper. Give yes. me give me the scoop on that. That is a whole new realm that just is so cool to me. Um, well, we were, a, a Viagen was a company based out of Austin. And um, we, you know, we had um, knew some people, they were cloning deer and different things. And and so, you know, it was kind of intriguing because Scamper's bloodline was a lost, it was basically a lost bloodline. And, and um, you know, his mother uh, had died when, you know, there was like two colts out of her. And, and so there was no more of the babies out of that mare. And so it was just a, it was a lost bloodline. And so we thought, well, you know, Scamper had such good feet, good legs, he, you know, was very... Um, you know, very hardy, and you know, this is kind of what the the barrel horse world needs is is uh, you know that longevity and that toughness and soundness, and um, and so that's why we kind of went forward with it, um, knowing we were in uncharted waters. It was a very controversial thing. You know, a lot of people think that you know that I was like you know going to create Osama bin Laden again and, you know, do all this bad things. And, you know, there was, so there was a lot of controversy with it, but, um, you know, we went ahead with it. We got Clayton and he is a, you know, he's a DNA match to, 
to scamper and and so we see a lot of the those same traits as far as he's kind of the alpha horse um he's very tough like um good feet really good legs and um and so you know we intended to breed and um and then the aqha they didn't allow you know the clones to be registered um and so, you know, as we were starting in the breeding, a lot of people didn't want horses that they couldn't register. And and about that time, I was kind of trying to phase out of all the horses and breeding and going everywhere. And and so, you know, we just really didn't promote, like, breeding him that much. We have some really nice colts out there and, and uh, a few fillies that are doing really well. And um, I think that he does uh Clayton does put you know a very uh hardy healthy horse out there that that uh you know was good for our industry and and um so it's been it's been an adventure but um I you know we used to have 65 head of horses and we bred a bunch of them and it was like our life was consumed with all these horses and running here and running there oh, yeah. and doing clinics and then the boys were growing up and wanting to do stuff with them and finally I just was like I can't do all of it and and um I I just was like I just kind of want to phase out of selling horses and breeding horses and I just want to do my schools and 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 um and spend time with my boys and and take them and do what they need to do and so um, that's kind of where we're at, and like we have Clayton, we love him. He and you know, we've got I've got two colts. Um, I got a colt and a filly that I'm riding right now that are by Clayton, and I just absolutely love them. Even though I don't really travel or go anywhere right now with them, because by the time I do a clinic once a month, and then the boys are playing somewhere every weekend, it's hard to get out and go. But I mean, my oldest son Tyler, he is. He's going to be a junior. Um, he's going to go play baseball at Baylor. He's going to be gone here pretty soon. And mm-hmm. so they, you know, both of them, Tyler and Austin both, when they go play, they, they want me there. And a lot of times Tony and I have to split up, you know. Yeah. Tony goes with Tyler or vice versa. And um, one of us goes with Austin. So um, that's just kind of where we've been. So the, you know, ultimately if it was somebody who was, uh, had Clayton that was, that's all they did was, breed horses and they went like we did when I you know back in early late 90s and early 2000 we probably would have done a lot more with Clayton and his babies but Tony and I were just at a place where we just you know we were just tired of running 100 sure so so, but anyway it's it's been an amazing yeah it's been an amazing experience to have them and to see the the characteristics of them I mean I would just honestly say that um the the soundness and the feet and everything he's passing that along to those young horses there and they are um you know they are capable of going out and doing it and that was the whole purpose of it so um if I have a little piece of scamper that's there and Aww. and looking at those babies it's you know it's it's good oh how emotional that's so neat so does he have um any little quirks like does he like the same flavor of feet or snacks is I mean anything like that that reminds you of scamper um, yeah, he likes to eat. He's very, he's a boy. Um, you know, always looking like if you walk in the barn, he's always talking to you. Scamper was always, you know, he walked in the barn, he's always talking like, you know, hey, come and bring me something. But they, when, one of the funniest things is that, you know, Scamper had that roached mane and we roached his mane, clipped his mane his whole life, right? It was just his thing, mm-hmm. you know? 
And so whenever you'd take the clippers and you'd get, I don't know, about six inches from his ears, boy, he didn't want you to go anywhere near his head with those clippers. So I never, like, eared him down, but I'd just put my hand on his ear just so he would be still and I wouldn't nick him, you know, mm-hmm. with the clippers. But so I don't clip uh, Clayton, but he is sensitive in the same place. Oh, um, really? Yeah, it's so weird, and um, exactly the same thing. They kind of move their mouth if they or if they if they're wanting food, and you don't bring them food right that second, and they start moving their mouth. They get like impatient. They have he does that. Um, that like Scamper loved getting in the trailer. Clayton's the same way. Like he will just love to get in the trailer and go. Mm-hmm. Um, eats good, you know, on the road. If you're taking him anywhere, he eats good. Um, like. So many things that are are the same about him, you know. So when Clayton was young and it was time to get him started, did you want to do it yourself or did you send him off to a trainer? Yeah, and so Clayton was started. Casey Deary um, is uh, really well known in the reining industry. And so he was started at his place. And so Clayton's broke really well um, and he's been roped on. And so you could just go get on him like my niece who rides – once in a while, she she's rode him around. Like, you could not be on him for three months and get on him and just go. He's great to ride. Mm-hmm. Let's chat a little bit about the clinics that you do. Um, I know you have been on the road a very long time traveling all over the country. So how long have you been traveling doing clinics? Um, my first clinic was in 1999. Yeah, so about 22. I, I wrote down about 20 years. I was right. So yeah. about the last 22 yeah. years or so, you've been traveling, gosh, all over the country. Um, so this is kind of like the new chapter you've got into now in your life. So uh, tell us a little bit more about your clinics and um, how they work and how many you do a year. Um, I'll let you kind of take the reins on that. Yeah, no, so I, I, uh, I do anywhere from eight to 10 clinics a year. Um, I have been to Canada, Brazil, Australia now doing clinics and, um, and then pretty much travel all around the the U S and kind of go to spots where, you know, people want me to come to, or, um, you know, or we just find a great facility to go in and, and host one. But, um, they have definitely evolved over the years when, um, uh, I first started doing them. I rode everybody's horses and I worked their horses and, you know, got on and tried to show them how I was riding their horses. And, um, and so it's kind of turned into, I still get on and ride everyone's horses the first day so I can kind of feel what that horse feels like because no horse ever looks exactly the way they feel. And, um, you know, you don't know like how hard they pull on you or how light they are, how, you know, good they handle or what a good horse it is as far as just knowing the fundamentals and the basics of the barrel pattern. And mm-hmm. so you learn a lot by getting on and riding them. And, and, um, and then the, the, that's on a Thursday. And then on Friday, we just do drills in the morning and then we do barrel pattern work in the afternoon. And, um, do that Friday and Saturday and then um, also I bring in a team of people um, Randy Rittinger um, is a dentist that um, a horse dentist that I've you know he worked on scamper he's um, he's the best in the industry and and he was with me for a long time and he kind of cut back on his schedule so I got um, Mark Allen who trained under him who is now doing the clinics 
him and his wife Velvet are helping me and and so I bring them in and then I've had a couple chiropractors that have worked on my horses um Casey Deal from Oregon and um Dustin Cooksey um they both have been trained uh chiropractic wise a little different format than what most people are used but they really really do a great job and Mm -hmm. you know just seeing things that aren't normally seen and so if you have horses that are stiff one way or the other or you know it's gonna it's gonna cause a problem when you're running barrels and so having these guys with that extra knowledge if you've got horses that um you know their pole or their atlas is out it affects everything Mm -hmm. all the way back and um so having a great team of people and, um, you know, and just going out and, and uh, um, just trying to help these horses and help people just to get faster and better and, you know, just bring good horsemanship, you know, to barrel racing. Eleven years ago, I attended my very first clinic with you, and I never realized how important it was to have a correctly balanced mouth in your horse. Not just really a balanced mouth, but having a nice soft bit seat taking out my horse's wolf teeth that she still had when she was six years old. I mean, we were a hot mess at first clinic. Um, But creating a nice, happy mouth for the horse to not only perform in, but to live in, to be able to eat, break down their forage, their food, all those things lead to a happy and a healthy horse. Randy did a slideshow and gave a talk of what he does and why he does it, how often you need to do it, you know, every six months, not once a year. And he gave reasons for that, as well as before and after pictures. And it was unreal. Um, you know, I felt like a terrible horse mom. <laughs> so I will forever get my horses done every six months. But the importance of a correctly balanced mouth makes such a difference when it comes to these performance horses. You know, they're athletes. They're, ath- you know, just like we are. You know, that's the thing is just opening people's eyes to how that mouth, um, you know, your teeth are constantly growing, how that mouth does need to be balanced and you know, if there's high hooks in the back or they don't, you know, they, those teeth might be filed off like on one side but not the other. And, you know, and then so many horses have wedges in the front, which affects the TMJ joint, you know, where it might be pinching on one side and not the other side. There's really a lot of factors that go into it. And we love our vets and they float the horse's teeth, but there's nothing like having a balanced mouth and performance dentistry done um, on your horses like to, to run barrels because you got it. They kind of got to ride into that bit. You got to handle them. You know, those bit seats are so important because it doesn't pinch. You know, when you pick up on that, you know, when you pick up on one side of the mouth, it doesn't drag that tissue, you know, into that tooth there. And so it, there's a lot to when you're riding horses and feeling them. And if only anybody could ever be in my shoes to be able to ride those horses before and after their mouths are done. And then to have people come up to you and just cry because their horse, they felt so bad that oh. their horse, you know, was hurting and that, you know, and, and that their horse rides so much better. And it's just really great to be able to share that information with them. And, um, and, and the, the equine dentistry thing, it's not something that somebody learns to do easily and quick. It is a very, um, it takes a long time to learn to do it really good and, and a very honest person because there's people out there who know how to do the work in the mouth, but because nobody can really see in there and see in the back, they, they leave stuff. They'll leave a, they'll leave a high tooth in the back. And that mouth doesn't hinge that way to have a high tooth in the back. So it puts pressure on the TMJ. And 
So, you know, there can just be problems from that. Um, and so if we're trying to barrel race and, and um, you know, that horse doesn't feel very good or he's in some kind of pain and he's not utilizing his feet as good, he can't be as fast. Like when you're competing in hundreds and tenths of a second, you better make sure that everything you're doing is in the right direction. So um, I'm, I'm just very thankful for my people, for Randy and, and Mark. Um, it's unbelievable the changes they've made in the horses. It has opened up my eyes and I, as, as much as that I have been um, inspired by it, then I then go and tell my friends and my family and people that I encounter, holy cow, did you know this? And they're like, what do you mean a balanced mouth? And I'm like, okay, okay, we're going to, you're, you're going to need to come to one of these clinics. And then you know, I bring a friend to a clinic and then like, oh my gosh, and it's a domino effect. They've been, you know, so I think it's great what you're doing that and what they're doing as well, that they're just making the horse industry a better place I, it's yeah it's amazing. no for sure and it's controversial you know there's a lot of there's a lot of people out there saying they don't need bit seats and you know that they take too much off and you know there's a there's a lot of that stuff going out there and and um you know but when you have horses that are pulling on the bit and fighting it and you know it's because they're getting pinched you know those bit seats are pinching the tissue mm -hmm. in their mouth and you know, it's just, gosh, if those people that disagreed with any of that, if they could just get on and feel the difference of those horses before and after, it's the difference of like driving your car with a flat tire in the front end. Yeah. I mean, it just is night and day different. Yeah. Well, even, you know, I really, I didn't know both of my horses have what they call pouchy flesh. And yeah. I was, I was riding in a, in a twisted wire bit, both my horses. And so Mark, yeah, Mark opened yeah. my eyes to that for sure. It has definitely getting um those horses into a smooth where it doesn't drag that pouchy flesh in there has been huge absolutely and he said you know does your horse kind of pop his head up every time whenever you pull back and i said yep and then again so he had me do it with the bit and then he you know he changed his teeth well it didn't even change it he just did a normal float on him and then changed his bit to a smooth literally never i've never used anything but that since because the more you know, the more you grow. I right. so now I we have a very good equine dentist that he got us hooked hooked that he got us hooked up with, but I now take my bits to my equine dentist, which I never even thought about doing to say, hey, is this how is this working in his mouth? And it's we have a great a great relationship. It's worked out wonderful. Yeah, well, that's good. Yay! Yeah, yay for that. Moving on a little bit, is there been anybody that you've looked up to? Um, I know I've looked up to you, my and ever since I was a little kid and knew what barrel racing was. I've always looked oh, up to you and idled to you. you. Yeah, so was there anybody that you looked up to when you were growing up? Before, well, actually, before I got uh, my permit with the WPRA, there was um, a barrel racer named Sherry Elms, and she was leading the WPRA World Standings. And she, I think she had, you know, thirteen or 14,001 or something, and I remember looking at the, WPRA paper for the first time and was like, oh my gosh, she could buy a truck with the money she <laughs> Buy a truck. <laughs> and, I, and so here I was, a kid, you know, who raised bottle calves and, try, you know, was like already trying to figure out how to make money and, you know, figure out how to buy a truck and, you know, do certain things. I was like, okay, this is it. You know, I'm mm -hmm. already kind of competing and barrel racing and then and so, um, you know, I kind of followed her, and she was just kind of, an, it was she just had a great story, and, and um, so 
she was kind of my inspiration, you know, she was, um, and she was just a neat person. And, um, so I, I think a lot of her, there was, um, Leanne Gilkey was another barrel racer who I went, uh, in the 1984, when I won my first world championship, she would lead the world standings and then I would lead it. She would lead it. Mm-hmm. And she was just the nicest, most humble person and so helpful. Her and her husband, Randy, just were so good to my mom and I and always were, you know, looking out for us. And they were never, um, you know, that, that, uh, you know, hateful, like, I want to beat you kind of thing. You know, yeah. if I won, she was always like, hey, good job. And, and, it, and so it was a really good kind of, to me, healthy relationship we had of, helping each other out and I think that those kind of relationships really forge your 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 life and your and your career and um, because there sure is a lot of people out there who just want to beat you and talk about you and you know glad when things happen to you and and um, that aren't always good and so um, I think those people were really um, Cherry and and Leanne were were kind of inspirations and and not only that, my family, you know, my, my parents were just good, hardworking um, people that they were humble and, you know, just always, you know, telling me you can do whatever you want to do, you know, just there was no limitations. Yeah, they, they raised you right. They were positive people. Yeah. They were good role models, always there, taught you right from yeah. wrong and... Yeah. yeah, and I, you know, I just, I mean, you're, that's what our families are for, you know, that's, um, I I just think the family unit is important, I, my dad had his side that were good, my mom, and, you know, I feel like that with my husband, I'm like, I'm, I'm, I need my husband to balance out certain things, I just think that family unit is important, I think it was important for, for my success, and, and um, so anyway, yeah, mm-hmm. I just couldn't have done it without my family. Yeah. My sisters were amazing. They were supportive, and and um, we had a lot of fun. I have, gosh, we had we had fun times. Yeah, so. lots of good memories. That's wonderful. Yeah. So, yeah. if there's anything about the horse industry or even the barrel horse industry that you could change, what would it be? I think that's a, a really great question. Um, I I think that what I'm doing is what I would change is it's just people to take good care of their horses and to appreciate them and, and, you know, learn how to ride them. And I, I feel like that that's what I'm doing. And I can, I kind of think that over the years that I've been doing this, I think that people have changed, you know, they just become better riders. They're more aware of their leads. Um, people are a little more health conscious. And so I would, I would just say that that's the thing that I would, um, I would just, you know, keep on is like these horses are a gift from God and take care of them like a gift. And there's just some people out there that have horses that may not have quite enough speed to get where they want and the things they do to them to try to make them run, you know, they might, they might hit a really fast time two times out of 10 and they just terrorize them to make them be great all 10 times. You know, I hate to see that with such good horses. And, um, you know, it's just, they're all important. It's just like every person is important. God made, there's a reason why every person is here, who they are, what they are. And, and, um, you know, it may be a little preachy, but I just, I just feel like that if we can get to that point, you know, of, of everybody seeing these horses are worth more than just, you know, Hey, let's invest some money and sell them and, 
they're just more than that to me. I agree. You know, so, maybe not everybody, but I but I feel like yeah. a lot of the people who come to me that they they kind of have that a little bit of that mindset. I agree. So often we see, you know, someone getting a horse and they have it for a year or two and they sell it. And they have another horse for a couple of years and they sell it, you know. And, and I think then there are people like maybe you and me that, you know, they these horses become a part of our family. They're your family. Yeah. They are your family. Yes, Absolutely. I agree. You know, to some people, they're an, they're an animal. Some of the rest of us, they're part of our family. So we... It's it's a whole a whole different ball game when it's more of a family member, you know. That's and it's is. fine, you know, to sell horses and oh, sure, you know. But sure. if you do it, put them into good homes yes. and and educate yes. the people about them. And there's going to always be in every in every industry, no matter what it is. There's always going to be kind of the ugly side of things. But um, you know, I I will say that I can see from my end that. In my world of the people who come to clinics, the people have done much better, I will say, you know, of just wanting to, they love their horses. All right. So now we're going to move on real quick to my favorite portion of the podcast. This is kind of a new thing I'm starting. So I'm going to ask you 10 questions. They're going to be just rapid fire questions. So I'm going to answer these kind of fast. Um, So just tell me the first thing that comes to your mind. Okay. Are you ready? Yep, I'm ready. Here we go. Question one, dog or cat? Dog. Question two, mare or gelding? Gelding. Three, cowbred, thoroughbred? Thoroughbred. Four, what's the fastest you've ever been in a car? 200. Five, last Halloween costume you wore? Uh, My husband, we were baking and eggs. Oh, that's great. Six, on a scale from one to ten, how good are you at wiffle ball? I suck. Uh, (laughs) One. Seven. Are dogs people? <laughs> I guess no. No, okay. Eight. Say a word in Spanish. Hola. Nine. Do, does pineapple go on pizza? Yes. Oh, very, I knew we were soul sisters. Ten. What's your middle name? Elisa. Oh, very good. Although that was the wrong answer on number ten. Oh, it was. What's your middle name? My middle, oh, yeah, go ahead. Charmaine freaking James. (laughs) I won't say what I usually say because this is kind of a censored podcast. (laughs) Even though it is my podcast, I can say whatever the hell I want to say. You know, you know most of those kids (laughs) ever heard it before. I know, right? They ride the bus. That's what my little cousins tell me. We ride ride the bus. bus. We hear hear working. It's it's road on the stalls in the bathroom. (laughs) Do people still even do that anymore? I, I don't know. All I know is my older son was in the bathroom with a couple of my husband's friends. And he's like, when he was little, he's like, Dad, what does F-U-K spell? <laughs> <laughs> we'll, <laughs> sit, we'll talk and about it when we get home, son. You know? Yeah. You know, that's going into the back of the bathrooms not like whenever i go to a barrel race all it is is advertisements come see us at the booth which is a great way to advertise <laughs> but that's all i wanted it's all I, I have a little bit of add so that of course i'm reading the bath in the back room stall i'm like for a good time call do people who takes a sharpie marker to the bathroom yeah i don't know yeah right good question good idea though yeah it is um well, Charmaine, I cannot thank you enough for taking the time to spend with me today. You have been someone I've looked up to my entire life in all aspects. Oh, 
and I'm Thank sure you. I'm sure many uh, many others do as well. So you've proven that persistence, knowledge, and a great attitude truly can get a person through any situation in or out of the arena. You're compassionate. You're inspiring. You're genuine. You're probably literally like the most humble cowgirl I've fun. ever met. Just tell me I'm a fun person. That's all I want to do. Is just you're be fun and have fun and people and look. I don't want to be the only role model. I want to create role models. Yes, and you are. You are creating role models. Every time I've been to one of I've been to three of three of your clinics now, I believe. And every time I leave your clinic, I'm it is it's made me not only a better horse woman, like a horse rider, it makes me a better person when I leave. Truly, I can say that, honestly. Yeah. Good. So Yay. You've, you've achieved more in your life than most of us can even dream of. And it all began on a little $1,200 little bay horse from a feedlot when you were both just kids. And I think, yes, I think that's such a wonderful story. So please share with us where the listeners, where we can learn more about joining a clinic, um, learn more about you or find you on social media. Yeah, just go to shermanjames.com. There's a lot on there about how the clinics work, a lot of information on there. Um, I do post the schedule for the clinics on Facebook um, at Sherman James. And and um, I don't get on social media a lot. I keep up with the clinics and stuff, um, but I have just um, reserved my spare time, you know, for other things. couldn't think of a better way to wrap up my very first season of the podcast than with my fun friend Charmaine James. If you have a moment, click on over to her website and join her and the team for a clinic near you. I promise you won't regret it. She's on Facebook, Charmaine James, Instagram, Charmaine James 11. And while you're there, jump on over to our Instagram and Facebook, the Barrel Horse Live podcast and say hello. I want to send a huge special shout out to the OG crew from Illinois and Missouri for helping out with the intro. All of their love and support over the last year has been hugely appreciated. I love you girls. And in case you didn't hear that, I said the last year. That's right. I've been doing this podcast an entire year. I've talked to such amazing people like Sherry Sundin, the team at Circle Y, Joy Wargo, Elena McKenney, tying Stevie Hillman, Dr. Jimmy Nichols, Ashley Schaefer, Jimmy Bryant, and now Charmaine James. Who would have ever thought a girl from the Midwest with an iPhone, an Amazon microphone, and a dream would have so much success? I've gained so much knowledge and experience behind this mic. Being able to jump into the brains of some of the best barrel racers in our industry is an experience that money can't buy. I'm going to return in the fall with a whole new lineup of guests and a whole new badass season full of surprises. Until then, I'll see you down the road, guys. Thanks so much.